We are in a series called The Spirit-Filled Life in Ephesians, and part of the power of going through a book is you end up speaking on stuff you wouldn't usually speak on, and there's a lot, a lot in this today, and get your seatbelt on. Here we go. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge, that, and that word is for intimacy, the intimate knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you are the teacher. Would you come? Would you hide me behind the cross? Lord, you want to speak many, many different things to many different people as only you can. Would you give us the humility to receive and respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. God, we love you, we praise you, and you will get all the glory for every good thing that happens here today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is The Offices. So our passage starts out about how Jesus was raised from the dead, and the glory that he had with the Father before creation is restored. And now even though he has a a limited, he he has a, a body above, he is unlimited. He fills the universe. But he is, in regards to the church, he is the head of the church. So as the head, he is connected to every single part of the body. So just like our physical heads, uh, our nervous system connects the brain to every single part of the body. So every part of my body gets its instructions from the head. And so it is in the body of Christ that everybody gets this relationship with Christ. They get connected, and now God has a place for each one in the body of Christ. And what it says is that Jesus is now the head. And so on earth, his expression comes through his body. So people always say, where's God? Where is God? What is God doing? We got a world of darkness. We got a world of hatred. We got a, where is God? Tell me where God is. I'll tell you where God is. The church. You look at the church. Really? That's God? Hmm? Not fully formed yet. She suffered a lot of paralysis, and a lot of parts aren't working right now. But yeah, that you pray for it, because that that is God's answer on this planet, is his church. He said, I will build my church, and this is what hell will not prevail against. Jesus is building his church. And part of him building the church was he released by his own grace these five offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And I want to look at today, we are going to look together at these five offices. First, we're going to look at the purpose of the five offices. Then we're going to look at a description, a definition of the five offices. And then finally, we'll talk about receiving from the five offices. So let's start with 
the purpose of the offices. First, these five offices were given to equip the saints to do the work of service. So these five offices exist because God has given grace to every single part of his body. Every single part has a gift. Every single part has a place. And what God's plan was, was that each part would know how it fits, would be equipped so that it can function. So these offices are given not to do the work of service, but to equip the body to do the work of service. So one of the paradigms that has made the church weak is this whole idea of the people that are supposed to do the work of service are the pastors. That's what we hire them to do. And we attend, and we spectate, and we give a little money, but their job is to do the ministry. So if real ministry needs to be done, we need to find a pastor, we need to get them here, because that's where real ministry happens. And you see why this would weaken the church. If you've only got 1% of, the, of your body functioning, and the rest is all in paralysis, because they don't think they have a role, you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to do much. And, and so the, the, the offices are called to get each part functioning, each part instructed, each part moving, each, each connected to the, to the nervous system, to the head, so that they're alive and they're functioning and they're, and they're, they're active. So that's, that's one. The offices are called to equip the saints. Secondly, they're called to unify the body. These offices are given until the church grows in unity, it says. We are growing in unity. Why is it so difficult for the church to be unified? Well, there's a a really good reason. God, through the church, God's answer for the planet is, at the same time, an army, a family, a hospital, and a school. And every single person in the church views the church or what the church should be doing through whatever they value the highest. So, and God's placed us in the church like this. So there are hospital people, there are school people, there are army people, and there are, are family people that, that this is what the church should be doing. They should be doing this value. They should be doing this value. And so these offices, how do they create unity? First, they validate the value that you have, the value God's put in you that you're passionate about, they validate, yep, you're in the body. Yep, that's really important. How do they unify us? Well, they also bring to your attention that there are these other values that are just as important as your value. There are other people that, that view the church very differently and what the church should be about very differently and you need to make room for them <laughs> because it's not one or the other. It's It's all of the above. And so it's interesting in these last two years, of course, on any issue, a hospital person is going to have a different perspective than an army person. (laughs) And a family person's gonna have a different perspective than a school person. And and so we 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 see all this bumping up against one another, and I'm right, and this is how you should look at it. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's one really good way of looking at it. But it's not the only way of looking at it. And so God's trying to teach us, yes, affirm our value and what God's put us in the body for, but to affirm we need all of the body of Christ. And this is the the third purpose of the offices, is to help us to grow up so that the full measure of Jesus can be seen on this earth. To help us get beyond just our own little selfish world, to deny ourselves, to recognize there are other people on the planet, there there is needs on the planet, and that it's not all about us and our little thing, and, and to get us grounded in truth so we know what's true, so that we can discern what's false, we're not blown back and forth, and we grow up, and this is what it says, to the full measure of Christ. So this is... The church revealing the full beauty and the full power of Jesus Christ on this earth. Pastor Tom, what would that look like? You just look at Jesus' ministry when he was here. 
It, it was on full display. Jesus, the beauty of Jesus and the power of Jesus through Jesus. And the offices are given until we all become this tremendous expression of God's beauty and God's power. Now, this is, the, this is really difficult for Americans because I can't do this myself. The fullness of his beauty and power requires not just me, it requires you, and I have to work with you. We, I can't reveal the beauty of Jesus myself. I can reveal part of it, but I need you. It's us working together that reveals this brilliant light of who Jesus is. And so this is the, what the offices are given for, to grow us up, to unify us, to get us unparalyzed and equipped to be the part of the body we are. So that's the, that's the purpose. Let's talk, number two, a description of the offices. So here's the thing. In America, we use one word to describe everybody that's in ministry, pastor. And it's very inadequate because I don't know why we just, that's what we call them, but they can be apostolic, they could be prophetic, they could be evangelist. We've got 10 pastors on staff, and honestly, between the five, we did whose army, hospital, school, family, and we were all over the board. So all on our, just on our staff, there's an expression of all of these offices, but we only use the one word, pastor. And it's really important to, to see that each of these five are not anybody's identity, it's their assignment. So people say, what should we call you? Can I, should I call you Pastor Tom? And I'm like, Tom will do. Bro will do. You, you call me whatever you... Um, but you, I mean, I'm not certain. If you want to call me pastor, that's fine. But it, 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 it's important. Paul did not call himself the Apostle Paul. He called himself Paul an apostle. Peter said, I am Peter, an apostle. And actually, they would only use the word apostle when they were bringing a correction. Otherwise, they would just say a bondservant. My identity, and these are not identities. My identity is a beloved, favored son. My assignment here is to be a pastor. Something very dangerous happens when I get my identity, or anyone in these offices gets their identity in that position, and I need to be called apostle. I need to be called prophet. I need to be called pastor, and because I'm, I'm worthy of that, and I've deserved that, or, or you know, I'm, that, that's, that's who I am. Watch out. Watch out. That's not, that's not who you are. That's your assignment. And to, we, our insecurity tries to lash onto any identity, and the idea that somebody called to the offices is beyond that is ridiculous. Okay, secondly, a description of the offices. First, I want to talk, or, I just said second, then I said first. Okay. Before I give the five offices today, I want to talk about the unique role of the first century apostles and prophets. So here's Ephesians 2.20. Churches built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. There is a unique role that the first century apostles and prophets played that is absolutely unrepeatable in history. So the apostles, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles. So the apostles were eyewitnesses. There were 12 of them. It said in in Acts chapter 1, when, when Judas had to be replaced, it had to be somebody that was there for John the Baptist. They had to be there for the whole ministry. They needed to see the empty tomb, and they needed to see the resurrection. Why? Their primary role was to be eyewitnesses that would protect the truth of what actually happened. Our four Gospels are all eyewitness accounts. Matthew and John were among the apostles, so they're eyewitnesses. Mark, the early church fathers say, Mark took dictation from Peter right before Peter died. 
So Mark's gospel is Peter, another eyewitness, and Luke is a compilation. Luke said, I interviewed all the eyewitnesses. Luke, when you read about Mary, he interviewed Mary. When you read about Elizabeth, he interviewed. It was all eyewitnesses so that, that, that our gospels would be protected. It's on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. God released prophetic in the first century to Paul, to John, to the other writers, he gave them prophetic experiences that laid the foundation of the church. This is a gift from heaven. It is the foundation of the church. It was laid once. Nothing that comes after can go outside of the alignment of what has been laid by the apostles and the prophets. Paul himself said, if I or an angel from heaven preached you another gospel, let him be accursed. This has already been laid. It was laid and everything has to be built on this. So this is the word of God and it, it's been a disaster when people have tried to add to revelation, add this, add this. Everything that comes now needs to line up to God's word that was once and for all given in the first century. Amen. I was hoping the second service would be more excited than the first service. And it was about equal. Um, that's because you're more awake and you had, had more coffee. That's all that is. Now, I want to talk about the apostolic and the prophetic today. So part of the body of Christ has said, there are no more apostles and prophets. They were only there to start the church, and now all we have are evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The church has suffered horribly because of this. Because if you don't acknowledge offices, then you're not going to receive what they could give to you, and you end up going without it. There's not a shred of evidence that God decided that there would be no more apostles or prophets after the first century. These are needed. The first ones were unique, but the apostolic and prophetic are needed today. These offices are needed today. Why? Because they're here. They're part to equip the saints to grant unity to the body and to call us into the fullness of Christ. The idea that we're going to do it without the offices that Jesus has given is, is ridiculous. He has given us these offices. So let's talk about apostolic ministry today. So apostle just means sent ones. These are anointed by Jesus, men or women. They are strong personalities who God uses to start things and lead things. They usually break open something new. They are usually persecuted because they are taking new ground. And we all, it's just part of us. We resist change. They have, an apostle has a spattering of all of the other offices. It's like a, it, all the gifting is in one person. Prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher, because of what it's going to take to get something started, all of the gifts are in that one startup thing and plowing. And so apostolic ministry is, often has lots of gifts operating through them. They can come off rough because they are army. They are seeing the big vision, where we need to go, and get moving. Let's go. Let's do this. I gave a command. Start following it. Boom. This week, as I was doing my prayer walk, I'm meditating on these things, and I'm going past this house, and there, I think, I assume it's a husband in the car honking, waiting for somebody to come from the house. And I don't know if it was his children or his wife, but honks, a few minutes go past, honk, little longer honk. I'm like, that's an apostle. <laughs> that's, that's how apostles are. They're just like, let's do this. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> they push the envelope. Through history, people like John Wesley, William Seymour, Amy Semple McPherson, David Current, David Youngie Cho, another one that's passed is John Wimber, a couple present ones, Mike Bickle, 
Bill, Bill Johnson, our own Sam Duram. These are people that God has called apostolically. They take new ground and they see the big vision. Prophetic today. I call these the realigners. They are gifted to speak, to motivation, and realigning the body of Christ with God's purposes. Now, they can do this for one person where they will, they will have a word of knowledge or they'll have a vision or they'll see it and they'll pray it and, they, and it's always what's behind what seems to be going on and they start, it's like jumper cables getting hooked back up to get them going again, to get, their, get them connected to the head again and, and, and speak things in. But they can also do it for a whole church and for a whole region. There's different types of prophets that have different types of authority. They see the diamonds in the rough. And in the, in the midst of the darkness, they can see what the Father's doing. They don't just see Russia invading Ukraine and all the destruction. They, see, they, they start seeing what, what, what is God's purpose? What is God doing in the midst of it? They are in charge of quality control. So they're called, the prophetic ministry is called to come alongside pastors and leaders and help them, and guide them, and, and give quality control. And so and when you have an apostolic pastor, he wants to go forward. He wants to do the next thing. He wants to build the next thing. And, and the last thing you want is some quality control person saying, slow down, stop. That was a mistake. You shouldn't have done that. And so oftentimes, there is this tension in the body of Christ between the prophetic and the pastoral. And this, this has to be resolved because leadership needs the prophetic. Now, here's the other thing that happens often in the body of Christ. The, the prophetic gets wounded. The prophetic oftentimes will, will see something very clearly. And just because you see something clearly does not mean you're supposed to say it. It means you're supposed to pray. You're, 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 God will show the prophetic ministry what should be and what currently is and invite them into the gap, which is called intercessory prayer, to, to, to bring up what is there. Now, sometimes God does tell them to speak, and, but sometimes it's harder to receive from the prophetic ministry. It is, it's seen as invasive in your face, and oftentimes the prophetic ministry, they're trying to hear from God and they want God's cues so they don't pick up on human cues. They don't, they're not socially correct. They don't really fit in. And, and so they just put it out there. And, and so what happens is oftentimes the prophetic ministry gets rejected and then they get wounded. And when the prophetic people get wounded, oftentimes what they do is they'll start their own thing. And when a prophetic ministry is leading something, it becomes a disaster, and so it becomes its own separate thing. And you, now today it's online and you get a huge following. And frankly, this is where cults come from. Where, where you got somebody wanting to lead because they see clearly, but they're not gifted to lead. They're, they're, they're supposed to be quality control and God wants them actually to forgive and get over their wounds and humble themselves. And I mean, pastors have their own problems. We'll talk about those soon. But um, it, we need the prophetic. We need the prophetic ministry or the body of Christ will never grow up the way that it is supposed to. So examples in history, of Joan of Arc was certainly a, a prophet. More recently, Bob Jones was a prophet. I would, I would consider Rick Joyner and Chris Vallotton prophets. Ben Goodman, who comes here, he'll, he'll be here again in November, is, a, is I would call a prophet. Um, we have prophetic ministry here, prophetic leaders here. Um, uh, Ted Gary certainly moves in the prophetic realm. Does God call him a prophet? I don't know, but close. Um, so that's, that's, that's prophets. All right, let's, let's talk a little about evangelists. So these are the soul winners. Philip is the New Testament example of an evangelist moving in signs and wonders in Samaria. He is, he's got four prophetess daughters and he is called Philip the evangelist. So they're all about souls. When an evangelist is in the house, 
eternity comes close. And, And it's very simple. You need Jesus. You need Jesus because why? You're going to die soon or Jesus is coming back soon. And you feel that in the presence of an evangelist that God puts that anointing on them. It's not just for them to win souls, but to them to stir up the body of Christ to win souls. It's a very simple message that comes through evangelists and it is confirmed with signs and wonders. In history, uh, certainly George Whitfield was an evangelist Of course, the most famous evangelist to most of us would be Billy Graham. And you say, I don't remember Billy Graham moving in the supernatural. I don't remember signs and wonders. Well, it wasn't right out there, but I've got a a book in my office called Jews for Jesus. And Norman Ruskin tells his story. He was a Jewish Jewish cop in Detroit, young man. And uh, Billy Graham was coming to town to do a huge crusade at Pontiac Stadium. And his officer buddy asks if he would help with security and he's like well, well you know why not I've done security for presidents I've done security for you know why not and um but he was a young guy and he was showing off and on and he really hurt himself on on, on doing weights and his right arm he had almost no use of it of course he's a man so you don't go to the doctor with that you just suffer and uh Billy Graham's group pulls up and they're, they're coming into the stadium and he introduces himself. He says, uh, I'm Norman Ruskin and uh, I am Jewish. And, and by saying that, he, he wanted Billy Graham to know that whatever you're doing here does not involve me. I am Jewish. But he said, I'm helping with security and, uh, and I just want to honor honor you. And Billy Graham said, well, nice to meet you, Norman. And he shook his hand. And Billy Graham goes walking into the building. And Norman Ruskin, here's what he said. I was absolutely stunned because all of the pain immediately disappeared. When I touched his hand, I was completely healed. And he said, I'm, I'm moving my arm around. And all I can say to myself is this, I got to talk to somebody. <laughs> I got I to talk to somebody. <laughs> I got to talk to somebody. That's called a sign that makes you wonder. (laughs) Something that God does that only God could have done. And it creates this opening now that, oh boy, whatever I was believing isn't the whole thing. And so uh, Reinhard Bonnke, the late Reinhard Bonnke, an evangelist. I mean, he started out as a pastor in Africa. He had 20 people in his congregation. Three nights in a row, he has the exact same dream. He sees Africa from top to bottom, the blood of Jesus just covering it. And then a voice says, all Africa will be saved three times. And he's like, God, how? God started moving in signs and wonders. And from the year 2000 to to the day that he died, there were 73 million recorded conversions in Africa. Filled out cards. All all through miracles. And many, many of them Muslim. Because you don't really win Muslims without miracles. Just incredible evangelists. There's some controversial ones. Benny Hinn is an evangelist. Catherine Kuhlman was an evangelist. Today, another one is Todd White. Todd White, we've actually had at this church before. When Todd was here, it was power and love over at High Point, but he's preached here on Sunday morning. One of our elders got healed of a, of a shoulder thing. And Todd speaking, if you've watched any of his YouTubes, Todd's testimonies are usually like three hours old. Like he'll be saying, yeah, and today at the hotel, I started preaching and the manager started crying, went and got their friend, two people got healed and a demon went out. And everybody got saved right there in the hotel. And it's just like, it like, it's like it just happened. And, and sometimes evangelists, they kind of project their gift on others. Like, everybody should be doing this. And like, I'm like, people trying to be like Todd White messes them up, honestly. Just celebrate Todd for who Todd is and try to be a little more evangelistic yourself. Anyway, so we took him out to lunch afterwards. We went to Noodles. And while we're in line, Todd is talking to this couple. And I'm like, huh. They must have been at the Power and Love Conference because, you know, they've got so Either that or they're friends from before and then we come to eat and we're eating and he gets up during the dinner and he goes back to this couple and now they're crying and they're hugging and comes back. He was not going to mention what happened. And I'm just like, who are those people? How do you know them? Oh, I met them in line. 
I'm like, really? What, well, what happened? Oh, God told me that her dad lost his job. I gave him $100. Whoa, that's another level. We need evangelists. We need the evangelist anointing. This, in May, we're going to have Brett Hollis here. Brett has been here for comedy shows in the past. Last year, Brett was here. We had lunch together, and he said, Tom, I just... I feel like God does want me to use the comedy, but I feel like I'm supposed to be an evangelist. God wants me to start stepping out and bringing eternity to time. And uh, so I said, all right, let's, let's do this. And so he's, he's coming. And he's doing a comedy show at a worldly place on Saturday night. He'll preach here Sunday morning. And Sunday night will be an evangelistic crusade right here with Brett Hollis. And uh, how does somebody get into these offices? Well, you recognize the anointing and then you grow in it and you, you step out and you, 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 you let it flow. And so we're, we're, cheering for, we're cheering for everybody. Pastors. Pastors are called to lead, feed, and protect the body. The word used there for pastor is the word for shepherd. I'll give you just a, just a touch of my calling, how I got called into the ministry. I, I, each of these offices, there is a, a calling, but it's, it's kind of like a couple getting together. There's a thousand different ways a couple can get together and it be God without them having the exact same story. Here's my story. I was an investment broker in Madison. My undergrad is in business. I was on straight commission, and so we just work percentages. And you call 100 homes, and 20 of them will let you send the package out. And, and of those 20, maybe one will say yes. And so you just, you just call through the phone book. And, and I had this stint where I had called hundreds and no response, not even send a package. And I, I said to my boss, I said, I think, he was a Christian as well. I said, I think I'm being divinely blocked, and I don't know why. I'm going to take three days to fast and pray. So I'm probably on the second day of the fast, and I get visited in my office with the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. I'm calling you into the ministry, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, I'm a Bible guy. It needs to be in the Bible. I can't just go by, I had an experience. And I said, I, I need something from the Bible. And John 21 pops into my head. At that time, I didn't know what was in John 21. So I turned to John 21, and I'm like, oh! It's when Peter has gone back to fishing and Jesus says, children, have you caught no fish? They are being divinely obstructed from catching fish. And then he says to Peter, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs. And as I read that, the Holy Spirit was just boom, boom, boom. The next morning, I'm reading in Psalm 77, it's this verse, verses 19 and 20, your path, Led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God leads people that he calls his flock by the hand of human beings. They are God's people, they're my sheep, they're my people but I'm calling you to lead them. I've learned over time the unique role Aaron plays. Have you, did you know why Aaron didn't, go, didn't get to go into the promised land? He was supposed to speak up. When Moses hit the rock, God had said, don't hit, strike the rock, speak to it. When Moses hit the rock, the first time, Aaron was supposed to stop him. Aaron was supposed to say, dude, we're not supposed to hit the rock. We're supposed to speak to the rock. We're supposed to, but Aaron, Aaron didn't speak up. When Moses hit it the second time, both Moses and Aaron were not going in to the promised land. And I am called to lead this church, but we've got this staff and elder board that are like Aaron. They are not my yes men. They're not like, yes, Pastor Tom, yes, we'll do it. No, they're supposed to say, dude, don't strike that rock. Don't hire that person. Let's slow down. Let's do this. Let's do that. Uh, we need the team. We need a leader, and we also need the team that helps to lead the church. Sometimes people are like, I, you know, I find pastors controlling. Well, 
for one thing, consider that this is what God has called them to do. Pastors, leaders, God has given his leadership. This is right from the beginning. Whatever you forbid will be forbidden. That's called protection. When a pastor says, stop doing that, it's for your protection. And whatever you allow will be allowed. Pastors are called not just to protect their people, but to release them, to, to be a key that opens them up and, and releases them. And, and so pastors are, are called to pastor. And people are like, well, the Holy Spirit should be in control, not the pastor. And, and if, 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 if God was doing whatever he wanted to, there would be no leadership. Well, that's not what it says. 1 Corinthians 14 is a rebuke to pastors for not pastoring the gifts of the Spirit. And the, so it's out of control and it's and the most carnal are just taking over, and the pastors are doing nothing. He says, listen, you need, you need to pastor this thing. And it's not going to lead to a quenching of the gifts. It's going to lead to a greater releasing of the real gifts when pastors do their pastoring. Now, what is the weakness of pastors? Well, pastors can become inordinately interested in people liking them. Do you like me? 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 And if my ministry or any pastor's ministry becomes about being popular, he loses his authority to correct or lead. Because I need, my identity needs your approval. You, I need you to like me. And you lose your authority. You say, Pastor, how do you know that's true? Mm, lived it. I've lived it. It, it, it's like the parent that wants their teenager to like them. I, 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 my identity as a parent is I, I need you to like me and I feel good about myself because my teenager likes me. Well, you are just lost your authority to correct and, or lead them. When your teenager says, I hate you, and goes into a room, what you need to say to yourself is, praise God, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I am, I am parenting. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make them happy. Now, I'm not saying parents can't be abusive and there's a good reason why teenagers hate them. That's true too. But here's just what I'm saying. It's wonderful to be friends with your kids and to have them like you, but if they don't, that's just part of parenting. And this is also part of ministry. It's wonderful when people like you and they're following, but when they don't like you and they're mad and they're leaving, that's part of it too. And I try not to take it personal because it's a position. Whenever, whenever somebody comes and wants, wants you know, their ministry to be covered, I get it. It's not Tom. They're not coming to Tom. They're coming to the anointing that's on the pastoral office. Everybody needs to be covered. We need to be protected. And we're not here to oppress you. We're here to release you. The, the end of this thing is you being released. We just want you to be released safely. So that's more on pastors than you probably wanted, but I am a pastor, so say it. All right. Teachers, Jesus said that our job is to teach people to obey everything that Jesus said. He said, the truth, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. The church is the pillar of the truth. Teachers are important. They keep us from being blown back and forth. There is a body of truth that is true for everybody. The teachers are supposed to pull out the leaven of the Pharisees, which is legalism, and pull out the leaven of the Sadducees, which is worldliness, and, and make sure that their teaching is creating the life of God, the life of Jesus. The weakness of teachers is knowledge puffs up, and teachers can easily become very divisive. That I, I've got this truth, and and then they can forget that we all know in part and teachers can come off as if they know everything and that this is the truth and anybody else is a heretic and, and they can get their own little followings. And so you, you, we have to, you have to watch out, especially if you are a teacher, to, to have humility. Just like the prophets need to speak the truth in love, the teach, teachers need to teach the truth in humility. All right, I want to talk about receiving, lastly, from the offices. So there are, first, three wrong responses to the offices. One is cynicism. Cynicism says this, because you are flawed, 
you cannot be gifted. That I see your flaws, therefore you, you couldn't be anointed or gifted by God because you are flawed. God would never do that. And so there is a cynicism of there being a genuine gifting because you are flawed. Well, this is a huge, huge mistake in the body of Christ. Just because you can see flaws, and of course, it's a lot easier to see it when you're looking from a distance. Just because you can see flaws in ministries does not mean that they're not gifted, genuinely gifted by God. Um, Think about what the word gift means. Jesus gives these as gifts. These are not rewards for good behavior. These are not rewards for faithfulness. These are not rewards for Christian character. You say, well, I don't think Jesus should be handing gifts out like that. Well, you're not God. And he he hands them out as he wants to. And so oftentimes, you will have somebody that is genuinely gifted, but also flawed. Don't be a cynic. These gifts do exist in the body of Christ. God is still giving them, and we need them. Secondly, idealism. You are gifted, therefore you can't be flawed. (laughs) This is where we make idols of people that are anointed, and and we can see no wrong, and they're they're awesome, they're awesome, they're awesome, and 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 I follow everything they say, and everything they do, and I got all their CDs, and all their videos, and and because they are awesome. Uh, Watch out. (laughs) Watch out. Because somebody's gifted, does not mean they are without flaws. And what happens is when you see the flaws, you become disillusioned and you become hurt and you become broken and oftentimes throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like I can't accept anything that came from that ministry because they fell. You gotta allow that people are flawed. This is why Jesus said, you need to go by fruit and not by gifts when you're following a ministry because people can be gifted and then get off and make it all about themselves and use their gift, use their anointing for their own ministry, for their own reputation, for their own church, for their own movement, for their own sales, and they become very, very dangerous. And this is why Jesus said on that day, when I judge everybody, some are going to say, we prophesied in your name, we did miracles in your name, and I'm going to say, depart from me. Uh, You never knew me. You never You met me, but you never became intimate with me. You never went on to be intimate. It became about you, and you used me for your sake and for your thing. Very, very scary. But I just want to encourage you, just because your favorite pastor, evangelist, prophet has some things that aren't quite right or something that doesn't quite measure up, doesn't mean you have to throw it all away. God used Jimmy Swaggart for many, many good things that, that you can still have just because he fell. I, I, I think of Ravi Zacharias and all the good God did through him. And there, there, I, I could list 20 right now of, of men and women of God that were used, that got a little off, some way off, some, you know, only, God's their judge. But the point is this, is that's all God has is flawed people. And the anointing's always coming through flawed people. So don't discount how you grew under a ministry just because that person doesn't even walk with Jesus anymore. God was using that person. How many know God can use donkeys? Amen. So, and here's the, here's the last one, and this is, this is the most important one. And I'm gonna ask, uh, actually, not yet. Worship team, hold on. I'm gonna do this one, and then, then I'll call you up. The third wrong response is comparison. Here is 1 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, and then 21 through 23. When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And the next verse says this, and I just think it's important because I I don't have it here. He says, so one plants, another one waters, but God causes the increase. 
Both him who plants and him who waters are both nothing, but only God who causes the increase. Don't get your eye on the vessel. And then in verse 21, he says this. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Here's what he's saying. They don't exist to be your hero. This is, they're here to equip you. They're here to give you whatever that God wants to give you. They all belong to you. All of these voices belong to you. Don't lift one above the other. It's fine to have a favorite speaker or I really track with this person. There's nothing wrong with that. Or I like this church and I'm, I, I go to this church because I receive a lot from this church. That's great. But don't do it in comparison to somebody else because they all exist for you. All the anointings exist to to get you going, to get you started, to find your place, to protect you, to get us serving together in the body of Christ. So this is, it's just absolutely critical in this hour, guys. God is wanting to build his church. He's wanting to make it beautiful. He's wanting to make it powerful. But we, we, we can't get into us against you. I'm glad that you're, you're at City Church. I'm glad that you like City Church. I'm glad that you're feeling like you're receiving something. Please don't ever put me on a pedestal. We've got a whole staff of people that, are, that preach. They all bring something. We bring all kinds of speakers. They all bring something. We are not here to be compared to each other. Don't compare our church to other Well, Pastor Tom, I'm coming to City Church. My old church is dead. Well, how do you know? Maybe it was dead when you were there. Maybe when you left, the glory came. <laughs> Point is this, it's none of your business. You don't know. You don't know what's going on in that church today. There's a lot of wounds out there, and we, we often speak from our wounds about this and that. It's just a very human thing to do. And I just, I just want to encourage you, believe the best about wherever you've been, and God's placed you here. I'm so grateful that you are here. Flourish here. But don't set us up for a fail by saying City Church is the greatest church. City Church is the best church. Everybody needs to go to City Listen, God's got all kinds of churches for all different purposes. There are hospital churches. There are family churches. There are army churches. There are, there are school churches that we all are called to all of them, but sometimes you have this emphasis or that emphasis. And Jesus sees one church in this region. He's building something beautiful in this region. We need to cheer for the other churches. If you think there's something, yeah, amen. If you're wounded from your old church, honestly, just use that to pray for them. Just forgive them and pray for them. Just pray, because God can change it. And if it's a specific person, God can remove them or cause them to repent. Who knows? All right, now the worship team can come. And I want to give you the right response to the five offices. is humility before God and man. So this is something very interesting about God. Sometimes God will have a speaker that offends your pride. You don't like the way they do it. You don't like the tone of their voice. You don't like their attitude. You don't like the way they do it. You don't like them. And God is offending you to see if you're going to reject that ministry or if you're going to be humble enough to receive the anointing that's there even though your pride got offended. So you say, well, why would God ever do this? I don't know exactly, but it's probably to expose our pride. So here's what he says to the Pharisees. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 31 through 35. He says, you guys are like children that say this. We played the flute for you. We played the wedding flute for you, and you didn't dance. And then we sang a funeral dirge for you, and you didn't mourn. He said, John the Baptist came fasting from food and not drinking wine. And you said, he's got a demon. And then the son of man came feasting and drinking wine. And you said, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But he said, wisdom is proven by its deeds. 
He said, if you were to look closely, you would see all the fruit of John's ministry, even though it looked different than how you wanted it done or what would have been comfortable for you and John was too in your face. But look, John brought the kingdom of God. And, and my ministry has been rejected, not because of the fruit, but because you didn't like the package that it came in. So God will bring different packages. I don't like the wrapping paper. I hate that color. Open the gift. Open the gift. I speak next week, a week after that, Joyce is going to speak here. I don't, I don't know if I... Listen, humble yourself. Joyce has got something anointed for you. The week after that, Greg is speaking. We're going to have not just Brett Hollis, the summer Anthony Simmons will be here. And we, I've got different, Ben Goodman will be here again. And Tom Alexander will be here. And, and there's all kinds of, why why we got to bring in these outside people? We need them to, be, to grow up. And sometimes God will release the very thing you need through the person you least expected. Did you know that if you're humble enough, you can receive from any ministry? We went to the Catholic Church. Okay, humble yourself. God can change you through the liturgy. So if you are a believer in this place, whether you just became one or you've been a believer, would you mind just opening your arms? Receive something from God. Lord, I'm I'm well aware of all of the church hurt and that people in these offices have oftentimes caused hurt to the body of Christ. The very ones you anointed to help caused hurt. And we just want to be cleansed of that. We want to forgive them. We want to be healed. And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would activate your body in this place. The grace of God that has an assignment in the body for every single person that's here right now, that you would activate that grace, activate our imagination as to how God we might fit in the greater body of Christ. Lord, we don't want to spend the rest of our days spectating. We don't want to be cynics on the sidelines. Lord, we want to be in the midst of what you're doing. Lord, the river is rising in this day. Help us be in the river. Lord, grow us up. Grow up city church. Grow up the the church in this region to display the beauty and the power of Jesus. Lord, we're asking this together in Jesus' name. Amen.